Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Here we are for another episode of Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. I have a special guest today. I'm in the United States. I'm in Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, the Appalachian Mountains on the eastern time zone, eastern side of our country. And Nina Sunday is my guest today. And I'll let Nina tell you where she's coming from. And Nina, give people a little sense of who you are and what is your passion for the work you do? Well, thank you, Hugh. It's, I'm delighted to be here. And uh, I'm, I live in Brisbane, Australia, which is the home of the 2032 Olympics. <laughs> and whether it's the third, third largest city in Australia, two and a half million people. And uh, from, from this location, I do manage a national training company called Brainpower Training with facilitators in the, uh, uh, in the four, four, four largest cities that serve, service all of Australia. And uh, as well, I, I do executive coaching. I have the podcast Manage Self, Lead Others. And my passion is, is for uh, leaders to understand that uh, culture is hiding in plain sight and to fr frequently and ongoing ask yourself, is my culture toxic or flourishing? But to understand what is, what makes a flourishing culture? Love it. Now, behind me, behind me is me conducting an orchestra and chorus. And that's a, that's a high-functioning culture. It's got a very specific discipline. And there's rules of engagement. And everybody understands those. Uh, and the conductor must understand it. But the conductor leads it. And so what, what is uh, number one mistake? People are, we're column managers. But we manage, like you and I talked about a minute ago, we manage things, we manage time, we manage money, but we lead people. So people that are leaders in these management jobs and corp corporations, what's the biggest mistake those people are making? The reason I know the biggest mistake managers make is these are all the same mistakes I made as a rookie manager. Because you see, I could only follow the managers that, that went before me. And I feel as if for the first 20 years of my working life before I went self-employed, it was the blind leading the blind. The managers seem to have this opinion that you're hired to do the job you're hired to do. Like I, I was hired in television straight after three full-time years in, at film school, but not a, my immediate supervisor, my executive supervisor. There were three levels of leadership. Not one of them asked me, now, Nina, where do you want to go in the organization? They just hired me to, to do um, cash flow forecasts and, and, and schedules. And it's like, I, I did three years full-time study to become an executive producer. Show me the pathway. <laughs> Not a single one ever asked me that question. And when I did find a mentor outside of my huge department that said, oh, yes, there is a pathway, um, well, I was at Australia, ABC television, which is actually a government funded uh, station. It's the largest TV enterprise in Australia because we're such a uh, scattered 
uh, population over a very wide area, but a small population compared to the USA. When it came time to, to go for that uh, training, to move across to that uh, training uh, ladder, oh, sorry, government funding's been cut, you know, I have to get rid of directors, uh, not, not put new ones on. And I went, there's no career path for me. So the number one mistake managers make is not finding, not building the capability of their people and not asking them, what do their people want? What is their, where do they want to be in five years? Because out of your individual contributors will come your next uh, crop of managers. So that's it, building capability. Not building capability is the mistake. Do you find that people misunderstand what real leadership is? They do, because I believe it's, it's like, it's legacy. You, you only manage according to how you were managed. And so how you were managed, you think that's what management or leadership is. You really do need to read best practice literature. We've got podcasts now. They can listen to all your episodes, <laughs> you. They can listen to all of mine at Manage Self, Lead Others, and all these other amazing podcasts. In fact, one of my mentors is Patrick Lencioni, who wrote The seven Disfu uh, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He has a wonderful podcast as well. So the thing is, when you read a book or get, do a training course or uh, listen to a podcast episode, to best practice, you become the next best practice person in the world if you are applying those lessons. So it's so easy now to actually take on board new processes and, and, and self-reflection. You see, that's a, an emotional intelligence attribute, the ability to self-reflect. It's like you have, a, you have a conversation with one of your individual contributors and afterwards you think, hmm, I noticed that they had a funny look on their face when I said this thing. And then you go, well, maybe I'll ask them, not specifically, you had a funny look on your face, but maybe I'll follow that up and have a, a subsequent conversation and just dig a little bit deeper. I don't know if managers are, managers are under the pump. They've got to get results They're They're being pressured from above. But if you are <clears throat> working for an employer of choice, some of these employers of choice appreciate that doing one-on-ones with your supporters, your individual contributors, is part of your role. And I have I have delivered training uh, in person to large or uh, multinational corporations where one of the managers confided to me, oh, yes, Nina, I just find it so difficult to fit in all my one-on-ones. And I go, well, at least you are doing them. <laughs> at least it's part of your culture. Well, the Pareto principle comes to play here. Uh, so I think as a way to your 20%, your producers that produce 80% of your results, those are one-to-ones. Now the 80%, if you don't have time, you could put those in the groups, small groups, so you can still touch everybody. Exactly. Because you see, in, in, in big group meetings or in any whole of team meetings, you've got the fast talkers who dominate. Ray Dalio talks about this in his uh, wonderful book, Principles, Life and Work. He's from Connecticut. He's well known. Um, you have the fast talkers who dominate. And then you've got the introverts who are often the deep thinkers. And look, I was at a, I was at a, a group session recently. It was post a workshop where you do one of those simulation activities. You know, you've got the plane crash and you've got these 20 items and list them in order of priority. And it was interesting that 
you got to do your own individual list first, and then you got to share it with the group. And then this was a group of 200 people, by the way. And then uh, you, they worked out who had the highest correct result in the room. I actually had result number two. I was the second highest in correctness, uh, you know, in, order, in, in allocating the order of priority. Probably my production management for film and TV came into play there. But our team was number one because I had the power of influence to be able to convince them. Now, I was chatting with someone subsequent to that who said, oh, yes, I had, a, I had some ideas, but everybody seemed to be so confident with their own ideas, I didn't say anything. And you see, this is what happens with introverts. That person may have had a fantastically correct idea, but we're not hearing it. So that's why one-on-ones give the opportunity for the introverts or the, the people that take time they need to reflect before they make a decision or come up with an opinion. Well, and you get to know people. You know, some people are top of mind. They get, they're out there with extroverts to give you an idea. Others need some prompting and they got to think about it first. So talk about high performing teams and how does the leadership skill reflect in higher performing teams? Um, you know, how does that work? Well, in any, in any, depends on the size of the organization. Um, in any large team, if, if, if it's, look, I, I had at, at its height, uh, I had 10 people working for me. I had five full-time salespeople. And of course, with the salespeople, I tended to really just have group meetings, but also I tended I inherited some silly thing called the open door policy, which was they could just ask a question anytime they need an answer. And I realized as my day was being completely interrupted, as I grew and got more people, that's fine if you got one or two people. But as, because as, I went from a sole practitioner to, uh, you know, a larger enterprise with, you know, a big office and a, and a, and a business investor partner. I realized that this was ridiculous, that I, my work was secondary to their immediate questions one-on-one. -on -one. So that's when I started realizing, look, I'm, I'm not doing it right. I need to find out more stuff. So I discovered, all, as far as I went, before I engaged a management consultant to do an upwards feedback survey, or some people call it a 360 degree, when, that, when I got that feedback, I realized that they're hiding their true feelings from me. And also, I'm just answering very quickly off the cuff. I'm not actually sitting down and letting them express their questions in a way that I'm totally focused on them. They could tell I was impatient to get back to my work. So, and I would be very quick to say no. Oh, no, that's not a good idea. No, no, we're not going to do that. It's like, I didn't realize that in a sense, you have to go to your people with questions. And if they come up with the answer that you probably want to go with yourself, you can then say, that's a great idea. And they feel as if they've contributed, they're more likely to take ownership of that idea and the team to take ownership and then to see it play out. If all your ideas are coming top down, they, they feel it's like adult it's like parent to child, they're just following instructions. But if you add, if you operate adult to adult, then they feel more empowered and they feel more respected. They feel, they feel heard because 
one of the things that we talk about is not only do you have to be seen, but people have to feel heard. And that's where the taking time to have one-on-ones is so important. And I only know this because for so long I did not. And you get to know people. And I, um, I feel like the, a fundamental piece of leadership is relationship. How does that play out for you? I'm, I'm sorry. I zoned out for a second. Let's just say that question again. Yeah, we're so far away. The, uh, the good leadership. <laughs> no, I was thinking about a story, but that's all right. I won't tell it. <laughs> that's fun. That's fun. The, um, the, well, we can, ha- we can have a story. The, um, <laughs> the foundation of what you're talking about of leadership is in relationship building. And you're, what you're talking about is a methodology to build relationships. Yes. Now, it's not, it's not really my methodology. It's actually uh, a Harvard Business Review case study. But I'll, t- I'll tell you this story. I was in a, uh, we had Nigel Payne come over from the uh, United Kingdom, who was the head of BBC television. And I'm in the Australian Institute of Training and Development. This was a workshop before their conference on leadership. And he just said it in passing. Oh, yes, the Google, uh, Google's Project Oxygen. And it was a really catchy name. I went, what is this Project Oxygen? So uh, straight after the workshop, which was all about leadership and leading people about, you know, his, his process, I researched this uh, Project Oxygen and it turns out it was, this is 2015. Back in 2012, so it was only three years old, um, Harvard Business Review had published this case study about the Google company, People Lab, who had done this uh, survey called um, Project Oxygen, which was um, asking managers what their behaviours were and uh, their individual contributors what their feedback was on their managers. But they also were looking at what attributes make an effective manager. And so they they were really looking at externals to begin with. So is it educational? Uh, standing have they got an MBA or a lot of managers were came up through coding and were were computer engineers IT engineers so you know is it is it is it education and the style of education no that wasn't it then they looked at their uh, meetings and they went well is the is it a, a directive manager that that only allows people to talk one at a time or is it a more free-flowing conversation and people are allowed to interrupt that, that really didn't um, come up with any uh, items. That, that, did, did they have, did they socialize outside of work? Did they have the same interests and hobbies? None of those. Then they went, look, there's another thing called norms, which are the unwritten ground rules. What mm-hmm. are the norms? And um, they, 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 they then started looking at what are the assumptions that people operate under especially when they're together as a group. So meetings then became their area of focus. And also conversations that happen outside of those meetings, more on -on one-on-one. And they came up with with a concept that had actually been first named by, uh, well, a Harvard professor, Amy Edmondson, called psychological safety. And the two attributes that make up psychological safety, and I should point out, psychological safety is the quality that, and it's we're not talking about mental health and we're not talking about workplace bullying. It, that's, if that's a whole continuum, psychological safety sits right in the centre. It's if I speak up and state an opinion, no one's going to say, 
turn around and say, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> no one's going to criticize, blame, uh, disapprove. No one's going to say, why did you say that at that meet? No one's going to be like that. You can say what you think and it's taken on board. People don't have to agree, but we all have a chance to have a say. So psychological safety is conversational equality and social sensitivity. So the thing I mentioned earlier about after an interaction, one-on-one -on -one or with the group, if, if, a, ma if a manager leader notices an, the, the, the body language, the, the facial expression, the, um, a reaction, uh, they, can then they should reflect and go, hmm, I could see that most people were on board, but I'm not sure if uh, Sally is, so maybe I'll have a conversation with Sally. A lot of managers are so busy, they don't even self-reflect. And so it's about self-reflection, social sensitivity, and then noticing, or if people come in and they seem a little bit down, finding a way to say, uh, is everybody okay today? I know there's um, there's a there's a global multinational in hospitality called Accor that recently brought in what they call a heartist culture. And I asked the uh, senior vice president of culture and people what, what that means. And they say, well, it means a lot of things, but one, one behavior, for example, is at the start of every meeting, we consciously take a few minutes to just chat about our lives and what's happening. So if somebody has got a, an issue, like a sick parent or a sick child, or, you know, a, 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 one of their, you know, or they're, they're having to move house and, and finding a new place is stressful, whatever it is, we can give them a little bit of uh, emotional or moral support. And we just know what's happening in people's lives. So, so some managers don't allow that. They go, well, we're just here to get a job done. We're not. We're here to get a, a job done and enjoy the process, enjoy being at work, or there's no point being there. Well, and people show up for a great paycheck. They perform at a higher level because they have some personal fulfillment. And, and part of that is all this, this stuff that you're talking about in the psychological safety. People don't speak up a lot because they feel like they're going to be consequences for disagreeing. And, you know, in some workplaces, that's true, but it's not always true. Exactly. And this is where when you join a workplace, you look, I know myself when I join a group, I am an introvert because I'm assessing the group and I'm picking up. Is it safe for me to say what I think? Because I was in a community theater troupe once and the way of dismissing my ideas was, oh, Nina, you have such an idiosyncratic sense of humor. Ha ha ha. Like, that wasn't funny. But guess what? When I was working in television and we were in a consumer affairs show where every couple of months they would get actors in and do a comedic episode, it worked out that I became the humour barometer. If I laughed, it was funny. If I didn't, it was not. <laughs> Yay. So speak about, I, I meet a lot of leaders and you know, really good, strong leaders in positions of authority, they don't want to correct people. Now, I use the analogy, I'm doing a rehearsal, and I stop the rehearsal, and I say trumpets, 
that's too loud. Would you take it down one dynamic level? Now, if I didn't stop, everybody perceives me as a bad leader. So we don't, we don't intercede, but you know, they're afraid the silly reason is they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Well, I didn't, I didn't talk about the trumpet players doing anything wrong. I just said the balance was right because they're loud instrument. They're in the back. They can't tell I'm in the front. It's my job to adjust the balance. So what is it? What is it that leaders don't want to reach out and do a course correction and, and, coaching those people that are lower in performance, they're lower functioning to help them raise their functioning? Well, you see, if you only ever do an annual performance review, then it becomes something to fear. <laughs> and also the, ma the manager is saving up. They're saving oh. up what they want to <laughs> say. And then it's a big dump at the end. And I don't know, you know, you might do the sandwich method, something good, something some negative feedback, something bad, whatever. But you see, the purpose of one-on-ones is to have them at least, look, they say every two weeks, 20 minutes every two weeks, um, depending on how many people you've got. But it doesn't have to be long, but it really is to say, how are things going? Open-ended question, how? Not, are things going well, yes or no? So open questions, how are things going? Um, are, there, are there any roadblocks? Are there any obstacles to you achieving your goals with the tasks you have to do or the projects you're working on and then you become the problem solver it's like they get to say well because I'm waiting for this I can't do that or whatever they're going to say and then it's your job to say well let's see if we can find a solution a way to clear that roadblock so you're the the, the roadblock remover but the other thing is in this uh, case study Google came up with the eight good behaviors and they, in order of priority. And one of them is checking in every now and again about um, having a conversation about career, but also um, making sure that you are a good coach and finding out what, what are the issues that are preventing you from achieving your goal. So you have to do it regularly, but not as a big thing, like, or even, so they don't associate with they must think I'm having problems because they want to meet with me. You, you want to make it that it's part of the everyday. And then, then, it, then you, people get to tell their problems before it becomes an issue, before other people have sort of said, oh, you're procrastinating on this thing. I can't, you know, like the, the whole blame game can start. So you want to nip that in the bud. So the longer you put off dealing with something, the worse it gets, right? Well, here's the thing. The, the behavior you accept is the behavior you condone. And look, how many years ago? It was more than 10. It was about um, 16 years ago. I had a member of staff who came on board to do appointments for me, right? She was, uh, it, I was looking for a, a mother that was returning to work after having left work to have children, which I thought was, and it still is, a good a source of talent because you often get former executive assistants that they don't want an exec full-time executive assistant job, but any, any job that is interesting will satisfy them. So I brought her on board. Now, she was great in year one, but then we changed focus and I did not want face-to-face -face appointments anymore. We worked out that I was much, my time was better staying in the office and doing sales calls and sales emails and working with the team. 
So we changed her job. I didn't say, do you want your job changed? I just said, your job is changed. And what I started noticing was um, avoidance behaviour, but she was chatting to the person in the workstation next to her, interrupting that person from doing her job. And instead of me having a conversation over the, we have a, a summer break, I decided to abolish her job and create a new job and virtually say, you don't have a job here anymore. I, this is when I was not a good manager. I was a cowboy manager, <laughs> right? I just uh, shot, shot from the hip. I just made decisions. It was my business. I could do what I want. I mean, you had laws, of course, you know, human resources laws, but you can abolish a role and say, you know, when she was part-time, you know, there is no role for you anymore. But really, I could have handled that by facing, facing up to it and saying, I notice when I come out of my office, you, you know, you jump back into your chair as if you're guilty. What do you feel guilty about? I didn't have the guts to ask that question. I just went, she's jumping back in a chair. She's guilty. Well, I'm going to get rid of her. <laughs> oh, look, I was terrible and now I'm better. <laughs> well, you know, if we didn't make mistakes, we wouldn't learn anything, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so Nina, um, early on in this interview, you talked about your leader when you were hoping to work your way up up the leadership chain and get us a better job. They didn't give you the opportunity. So, what's the, what's the benefit of a leader offering a career pack to even if they have the potential of losing people? So, what's what's the benefit of offering that career advancement track for your people? See. Even if, honestly, your people say, look, I can't see myself rising to where I want to be in your organisation, I do see it as a stepping stone. But every, every organisation has a moral duty to improve the CV of the people working for them while they're there, to build their capability. So to do training so they can say, yes, I was trained in this uh, this." skill. I had the opportunity to be rotated in different uh, roles. Uh, now, of course, if, uh, if you're a small business, you don't really have roles you can rotate. But I definitely, what I did do ultimately is I had a, um, when I changed that role and I brought in um, uh, younger juniors uh, doing a gap year from between end of high school and university, and I decided that was a good person to have. They, was, they would sort of take everything on board. Um, I would make a point of sitting down and saying, these are all your tasks. Are there any you don't particularly like? Which do you really like? And there was, I was able to take the one thing that they disliked the most and assign it to somebody else. Now, that, didn't, that took no effort from me, apart from them feeling like, oh, I don't have to do that one thing. That's great. And someone else took it on board and said, oh, I wouldn't mind doing that. No, that's fine, because we're all different. And even in a business with six or eight people, you can still move specific tasks around so that they feel as if there isn't a career path per se, because she was going on to, to university after working with us, but there at least there was an opportunity to rotate the role and for her to try new things. You know, that's so wise. Um, so you mentioned early on about emotional intelligence. So tell us a little bit about what that is and why did you highlight that? 
Well, well, this is what the research is showing is that the eight good behaviours, the eighth behaviour is having the technical skills to, to guide the team. In other words, most managers think that, you know, that they are good technicians, good operators, uh, you know, they're a good project manager. And I mean, a manager is a project manager, whereas a, uh, a leader is a change facilitator. And, and my understanding of, of change management is when you do a change initiative, say you're going to move office or say you're going to change uh, the IT for, ev for everybody, uh, you know, bring in a totally new system. You have the project manager who does all the steps, stepping stones to for that change, but you have someone responsible for informing the people and educating them step by step so that they feel they're part of the process because at the end you want good take up. You don't want what's called Swiss cheese, uh, a Swiss cheese uh, change state where they do some of the things, but they have workarounds and they they don't fully take it on board or there's there's active resistance or passive resistance. So for any initiative to move ahead, if you don't find out what people really think, you, you are going to find that they do workarounds or they pretend they're working and they hide from you the fact that, look, I, I discovered I had software that could tell me when, you know, I could look at their, um, you have to put it in the CRM, you know, who you called and what they said. I discovered that one particular person that was, had worked for me for years, but she was obviously getting bored. My fault, not finding out. This is in the bad old days, right? <laughs> I've got the bad old days and the good days when, when you know, I, I didn't have people uh, doing things behind my back. Um, she had the capacity to, input information twice because when her when the tally came up of the number of contacts she'd made it was twice as many and it took me a while to work out when I actually went into that every single contact was twice she put a different note but it was on the same day and I go I see I thought you've been really working hard you haven't <laughs> but, in the system. so Nina um <laughs> We asked you early on, what is uh, the top mistake uh, leaders make? So let me ask a different question. What are some things that leaders don't do that they should be doing? To take the attitude of learning from their mistakes, from everybody learning from their mistakes. And, and in fact, I got this lesson from the very first slim volume of Michael Gerber's book, um, The E-Myth. He said, you have to have systems. And you have to have procedures written down. And if somebody makes a mistake, like they forgot a step, it's not their fault. It's the procedure's fault. This procedure didn't have a check and balance. And so that's the one of the things I, I'm, I'm considered the queen of procedures in that if we have a step-by-step -step process that we would do more than once, I'll get the, whoever's doing it to write down the steps and then we type them up and the next person to do it will, we just print it out because it's often easier if you're doing a, a, something on screen to have it beside you. And I'll say, is there anything missing? And so we fine tune the procedures as we go. So to me, having an operations manual is so important because then you're not relying on people to be good and to know their job because the risk management there is what happens when they leave? You've got a big hole and 
who's going to onboard them? Maybe you, because you're the only other person that knows their job. But at least if you've got a good procedure, you can actually delegate that to someone else who may not know the procedure, but they know enough context to be able to work it out with the new person. So as I, as I have tasks, I will go, who else could do this? And there have been times when I've gone, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't give writing up the, the acceptance contract with the, with the finances to that person. And then the little voice in my head said, well, why don't you give her a go? You can just check it. They do the first draft and you check it before it goes out. That saved me hours every week. The, the time I um, built the capability of a person that I thought was just a telephone call person, she actually had an admin job. She was another woman that had returned to work after having had children. And she was fabulous at contracts and acceptances. And I went, well, there you go. You don't know what people's strengths are till you give yeah. them something beyond the capability of the role they're currently in. And people love the opportunity to grow their skills. So exactly. we're this great interview has been with Nina Sunday. You can find her at Nina N-I-N-A-S-U-N-D-A-Y.com. So Nina, when people go to Nina Sunday, what will they find? Oh, well, they will see a list of my speaking presentations. And I am a certified virtual presenter. I'm quite set up with a video studio here. And I present in front of my big TV and it's as if I'm standing in a boardroom or in a conference room. And I also do workshops, uh, the eight good, like the eight good behaviors of a leader. I do a workshop on psychological safety. The current one I'm working on is be seen, be heard, be respected. And there's a couple of uh, summits coming up. There's uh, the middle managers summit, which means that you've, you, it, it's, it's global in that because it's online and it's pre-recorded, you've got 24 hours uh, in which to view the presentations. And then if you VIP it, you can, um, you can, you've got, uh, you know, long, long range uh, opportunity to look at it at your leisure in the next 12 months. So I can send those to you as links, links, Hugh. Perfect. And behind you is a book. Tell us about your book. Work oh close. yeah. Well, this was recently, this is on bestseller TV for the C-Suite Network, which is where we met. Uh, this is Workplace Wisdom for Nine to Thrive. And it's, it's pretty well the 12 soft skills your people need. This, this is one your individual contributors can, uh, can, can, can read because it's, all, it's basically a combination of all my blog articles over the years. And because we deliver um, uh, customer service, time management and, uh, and business writing and, other, and, uh, and I deliver leadership um, pretty well, they're all short articles that a manager could actually take one of these articles and I give you permission to photocopy it or, or you, can, you can definitely get a PDF copy from me if once you've written the book and you can send out a few artic uh, articles to your people and then use that as a, as a do-it-yourself teaching opportunity uh, to, to either lift the game in productivity, lift the game in, uh, in customer service. There's presentation skills. There's a chapter on selling skills as well. So um, these are all the, all the skills that I've learned being in business for 30 years now <laughs> and I've only been a good manager for 10. <laughs> it's not just theory it, was, it came out of real life so as we end this really really helpful interview Nina what's the last word you want to leave with people a challenge or a thought or a tip? Well I do want to say I have 
I will uh, perhaps suggest we put in the uh, in the show notes a survey to, of, to my toxic behaviours, list of toxic behaviours, because the more people that can vote for the worst toxic behaviour, the, the, the better the data will be. And what's curious is it's not workplace bullying. Do you know that what is currently sitting, I'm preempting now, but you can vote for your own, uh, your own uh, preferred uh, toxic behaviour. The one that's sitting at the top is withholding information. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yet managers don't realise this. They think, well, we're, 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 we're the ones in the know. We know what we're doing. You just wait for, for need to know information. People need to know ongoing. Yes. Otherwise, rumours start. They make up, they assign a negative <laughs> to yeah. Yeah. any yeah. clue. And yeah. it's like often it's, it's called the ladder of inference. They infer the worst. Yes. And you might find people jumping before they're pushed or so they think. So, but also take people in your confidence and trust them with this information. See, there was a EY, which is the old Ernst Young, did a workplace survey last year and about going back to work after COVID and people working remotely from home. And they were not communicating with people whether they would be told I have to come back to work or whether part hybrid working, working from home was possible. And there was a mismatch. 68% wanted to hybrid. 38% of, uh, of companies only wanted, um, wanted them. Uh, only 38% of companies were prepared to do hybrid. So there was a mismatch there. But also this could be the, the reason for the great resignation in that companies not communicating with their staff or even asking them, what is your preference? We can't say that we're going to follow what you want, but we need to know what you do want. In other words, we'll take that on board when we're deciding what our process is going to be. So it's like, you know, you're not committed just because you ask, but at least by asking, they feel seen, they feel heard, and they feel respected. Really good advice on all of those fronts. Nina Sunday, thank you so much for being my guest today on Orchestrating Success. It's my total pleasure, Hugh. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>